and welcome to Talking Dirty at the Library, where we'll talk about what's growing here in Athens and Limestone County, Alabama. Today, we'll hear Chris Becker, Extension Coordinator, and Master Gardener, Janice Dill, discuss how the Extension Office and Master Gardeners of Limestone County are spreading roots throughout the community. I'm here today with Chris Becker from the Extension Office, and I'm Janice Dill, one of the local Limestone County Master Gardeners, and we're going to talk about IPM today. Now, Chris, is that intelligent plant management? Well, it can be considered intelligent plant management. Some people say intelligent pest management, but the, the true IPM is integrated pest management. And what integrated pest management is, it's a multi-step approach to controlling pests in the garden. And whether it be disease, insects, weeds, um, it, it doesn't matter. Environmental, it all boils down to not going to get chemicals for your first, you know, your first choice of controlling a pest. Chemicals, okay. although are a necessary part of IPM, it should be the last step. Well, and from what I do at home, I first inspect the plant, then I start monitoring it to see if it's recurring damage, and then I start scouting outside that area to see if I find it somewhere else. And only then am I in a position to identify what the problem is. That's right. So in, in IPM, the, the first step is IDing what, what the problem is. You know, is it a disease causing this, this leaf damage? Is it an insect? Or is it something completely different? Because if you don't know what's causing it, you don't know how to control it. Or treat you, it. Right. You may be spraying a fungicide for damage that's being caused by an insect. So, you know, one of the things that, that using IPM does is it helps reduce chemical costs. It helps reduce your exposure to chemicals. It reduces the environmental exposure to chemicals. It helps reduce um, chemical resistance whether it be herbicide-resistant weeds or insecticide-resistant, you know, insects. Insects. Um, which, is, which is a big deal. And it saves pollinators. That's right. That's right. It can reduce, you know, unintended consequences with using, you know, broad-spectrum insecticide that's, that's designed to wipe out, you know, broad-spectrum of insects, not, not narrow-spectrum. So it's, it's important to use IPM, whether you're growing, you know, pansies in the, you know, the front flower bed or whether you're growing a garden or or whatever it is. Um, IPM could be and should be, uh, you know, implemented in everybody's gardens. One of my favorite subjects in IPM is trap cropping. With tomatoes, for instance, I know that if you're having trouble with insects in your tomatoes, that you can plant sunflowers in that vicinity and oftentimes alleviate the attack on your tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Trap cropping is something that for the most part, is a is a large larger scale control measure. It's planting something that the insects would prefer more than your tomatoes, specifically leaf-footed bugs. So if you plant sunflowers before you plant your tomatoes, the sunflowers will come up, and they'll be at a further stage than the tomatoes. And so when they start producing the flowers of the sunflower, and then the seeds are in the milk stage, um, again specifically, leaf-footed bugs will flock to the sunflowers. And so when you get, you know, high populations on those sunflowers, you can spray the sunflowers and effectively reduce spraying your tomatoes for those insects almost completely. Um, and so that's, that's one way to help control the pest. That would be um, somewhere between a cultural control measure and, and a chemical because you are using a chemical. 
And, and the control measures in IPM, there's, there's four of them. It's mechanical, you know, mm-hmm. physically removing insects from an area or removing diseased plants or the weeds itself that, that harbor insects or disease. And then there's chemical, which is using the chemical, you know, the, the, the insecticides, the herbicides, the fungicides to, to help control your particular pests. And there are organics. Right. There are organic products that you can use. Mm-hmm. Horticultural oils and that sort of Insecticidal thing. soaps. There's, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's fungicides that are uh, approved for organic production, insecticides, uh, herbicides. So, yeah, you, if, if organic is, is what you choose to, to grow your shrubs or how you choose to grow them, there are chemicals, you know, at your disposal for these particular pests. And another pest exclusion effort would be in the insect barrier cloth that you find on sale. Right. You can you can use those. And, you know, for instance, um, if you're growing blueberries, keeping the birds out of them is very, very difficult. So you can actually get bird netting and, and double it up so that you have two layers. And, and that's a, you know, that's a physical barrier to help prevent uh, crop loss. But there's also a biological control where you can actually use living organisms to control another pest. Mm-hmm. You know, ladybugs, for instance. You yes. know, ladybugs and ladybug larvae are one of the best things that you can see in the garden. And if you have a, an aphid outbreak, the best thing you can see is, is ladybugs because they will come in and if left alone and the aphids aren't causing too much damage, you can let the ladybugs take care of those for you. Um, we spray fruit trees with, with an antibiotic, um, agromycin or streptomycin. We spray uh, apple trees for fire blight which is a bacterial disease, and that, that chemical will help prevent that bacteria from entering the tree. So if you can do that, you, you prevent that damaging disease in the apples. Yeah, because once it's there, it's too late for the crop. Right, you, you've got to prune it at that point, and, yeah. and that's, you don't want to have to do that if you don't have to. One, um, when we were talking about the insecticides and uh, that approach, one thing that we recommend, though, very strongly, is to use it as directed because you're protecting yourself, you're protecting the environment, and you're not creating insect-resistant varieties. Right. When, when we spray something over and over and over with the same chemical, we may kill you know, a high percentage of the population, but there's always some that survive. Um, and whether they survive because the, for instance, insects, the, the exoskeleton is thicker than some of the population or... You know, the neural pathways that carry the chemical from where it comes in contact to where it needs to go to kill the insect, something's wrong with that. So it's actually genetic mutations that cause those insects to be resistant. So if it doesn't kill them, they're the ones that get to breed and pass on what is ultimately a genetic defect, but it ends up helping them in the long run. And so what we recommend is, is never using the same product over and over and over. Switch it up. Change chemicals, not necessarily just brand names, but different modes of action. Mm-hmm. How does that insecticide kill those insects? You know, how does that herbicide, how does it attack the, the weeds or the plants? And try to switch it up. Okay. Too much of a good thing is not necessarily good. That's right. And, and back to using it according to the label. Again, yes, that limits your exposure, the environment's exposure, but that label is the law. Yeah. You know, if it says three ounces per gallon, by law, you are supposed to use three ounces per gallon. And so you, you do have to follow that. And we do recommend following the label in terms of PPE. You know, if it says wear rubber gloves and goggles and, um, you know, long sleeves, there's a reason for that. 
And so I, I encourage everybody to, to follow those instructions. Yeah, there are some hard-learned lessons out there over Absolutely. inappropriate use. One of the best things, though, when it comes to insect control, I've found, is controlling the weeds around your crop. That's right. A lot of weeds will harbor or are host plants for, for insects. Um, you know, if you have a, a grasshopper problem in the vegetable garden, there's a good chance that you've got tall grass around the garden. Weed eat it, keep it down, and that'll go a long way with, with preventing grasshopper problems. And mulches help, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mulches, you know, because you're adding that organic matter to the soil. Um, mulch is a great way to prevent a lot of garden vegetable diseases because a lot of them come from the soil. So when you create that layer between the, the plant and the soil, you're preventing that transmission. Right. And it, it does a lot with early blight and some of the other diseases that you see every year in the garden. It's something, again, I encourage everybody to research. Um, there's not a lot that's, that's very difficult. It's very simple things. You know, cultural control in, in turf grass. You know, if you have a problem with a particular weed every year and it's starting to get, uh, it's starting to get worse and spread, you know, mow your Bermuda grass low enough to where that plant can't go to flower. If it doesn't go to flower, it doesn't go to seed. If it doesn't go to seed, it's not spreading. Right. You know, simple things like that. Um, you know, we talked about pruning in a, in a previous podcast, making sure those pruners are disinfected so that you're not spreading those diseases. You know, if you have plants that are just overrun with disease or insects and you've got, you know, a hundred foot of tomatoes and three are diseased, you're still going to get plenty of tomatoes. Remove those dead ones, you know, uh, give up on them. Focus on the ones that are healthy. All of these things are very, very simple IPM tactics that go a long way with increasing your gardening potential. And just a little note, if you have a diseased plant, not an infestation of insects, but a diseased plant, don't put it in the compost. That's right. Now, a compost pile technically can get hot enough to kill insects, diseases, and, and weed seed. But I'd venture to say that not many of us are able to get our compost piles to 160 degrees in the center like it would need to be to kill off those things. So yeah, don't, don't add problems to the compost pile. You'll have plenty of problems to deal with on your own. Don't worry. Um, and I also want to let you know that at the extension office, we're always, uh, you know, always happy to look at plants and insects to help identify them so that you can then figure out how to control them. And we also have pathology labs that we can send diseased plants and insect samples to. Uh, one is in Birmingham at the Birmingham Botanical Gardens, and the other one is on campus at Auburn, that uh, we are more than happy to help you get in contact with them and, and send samples if you need to. But importantly, if you have something that you'd like to submit for analysis, it's very important that you containerize it. Put it in a sealed uh, bag of some sort or a container that has been sealed because you certainly don't want to spread it when you take it to the extension office. Right. And if we end up sending it to the lab, there's there's ways to help preserve the sample. You know, you never want to send a sample on a Thursday or Friday because there's a good chance that it's sitting somewhere during the weekend and by Monday it's it's not worth looking at. So if you do end up wanting to send them, just give us a call and we can help you with that. I've got a household infestation question for you. Okay. Why are we having these recurring swarms of Asian beetles and stink bugs? They know where it's warm and comfy, and they're just trying to join you. That's the bottom line. Um, during the fall, when the temperatures start to drop, and during the winter when it's extremely cold, insects don't want to be unprotected of the elements either. And so they, they try to find any crack or crevice 
to uh, to hide, to overwinter, you know, and more often than not, they find the, the cracks and crevices you never knew you had in your house. And so um, that's why they're in there with you. Uh, I, under, I understand that it's, it's frustrating when you have a mass of Asian multicolored lady beetles in your house, but ultimately they're still considered a beneficial insect because they do prey on a lot of our pest insects. So what we recommend is, is don't, don't kill them for two reasons. Two, one, because they're beneficial. And two, because they do, they do have somewhat of an odor when you do kill them. So we just recommend vacuuming them up and, and dumping them back outside. And then try to figure out where they were coming from so that you can seal that up. And the stink bugs? The stink bugs, yeah, those are kill on site. Those are pests. But again, they do also have a, an odor to them. Yeah, they do. In fact, I guess that's the name. That's right. And one other subject that I want to bring up, and it's a much concern to many people in Limestone County, and that is the introduction of the crepe myrtle bark scale. Yeah, it's this is a classic example of what happens when we find a plant we really like and then we plant the stew out of it everywhere. Um, you know, crepe myrtles are, I love crepe myrtles, don't, don't get me wrong, but we overplant them. Um, the crepe myrtle bark scale is a non-native pest and up until this point, I don't think Limestone County has had much of a problem with it, but it's na- mostly, pardon me, it's mostly in Madison. Right. Neighboring counties have had, have had quite an issue. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you, when you are doing a landscape design or you are replacing shrubs and trees, you got to keep in mind, you know, yes, I really like the way this looks and the blooms are really pretty or it has great fall color or whatever. Also research, what are some of the pests that you're going to deal with? Um, because when we get crepe myrtle bark scale, it's going to impact a lot of crepe myrtles. And, and it has to be really, really, really bad for it to kill a crepe myrtle. But the way it makes them look, it, it steals their aesthetic value right. um, to the point where you'd rather not even have it in the yard. It can be controlled, so you know, don't get me wrong, but it's going to be a multi-step approach using different products to make sure that, that you get rid of them. And one mistake people make is cutting them down, piling them on a truck or an open cart, and driving down the road to a dump site because you're spreading that bark scale. Yeah, you could very well be, be spreading a pathogen or, or an insect. and So where possible, burn them on yeah, site. Yeah, and that's, that's not a bad idea, right? Right. But, um, you know, again, I encourage you to look into to IPM, whether, again, whether it's for your garden or for your landscape. There's a lot of publications out there that you can use to help start incorporating some of these tactics into your pest control. Many and of which are available at the Extension office. That's right. That's right. And if, uh, if you have any questions, we'd, we'd love to see you uh, at the office. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. You've been listening to Talking Dirty at the Library, a podcast produced by the Athens Limestone County Public Library in Athens, Alabama. This podcast is produced in cooperation with the Limestone County Extension Office and Master Gardener Program. Join us next time to see where we're growing. And to hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, please visit the Athens Limestone County Library website at alcpl.org.